Okay, y'all, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We have moved. We are moving. You'll be excited. We're moving out of the longest Greek sentence ever constructed of 202 words, verses 3 through 14, and we're moving into the second longest one now with 169 words in 15 through 23. So we're moving right along. Uh, see if you can, when the, when the text is read, see if you can find the main verb. Because remember, if it's one sentence, it means it only has one main verb. It only has one main idea. See if you can find it. I dare you. I, I taunt you to find it. Uh, when I was doing campus ministry at Brown University, a student got involved in our ministry that had no church background whatsoever. Uh, not even the parents had background. Those of you that are not from the New England area, have never visited the New England area, you, you need to understand that, that what that means is, is that the persons and their, these two generations of unchurched, it meant that, that no one really has opened the Bible. No one even knows the Bible stories. So things that you would take for granted growing up in a church community, uh, they do not know the Bible stories. They do not know about Jesus. The only time they've heard his name is when he's taken in vain and they're cussing up in the north. Uh, so this particular student gets invited by a friend to come to our weekly meeting and his freshman year, and he comes. So he starts attending everything. He attends the weekly large group meeting. He starts attending the weekly small group Bible studies that are there. He goes to the fall conferences in the fall. This is for three years, freshman, sophomore, junior year. In the Christmas time, he goes to the Christmas uh, conference. In February, he goes to the Ivy League conference. And then at spring break, he goes to the Daytona conference and, and does this for three years nonstop, highly actively involved. And then... His junior year, he becomes a Christian, right? All of a sudden, the lights go on. All of a sudden, Jesus becomes real. All of a sudden, he trusts Jesus, becomes a Christian. Now, forward one year into his senior year, and he's in the midst of an incredibly spiritually dry season. In his words, he says this to me. He says, Jeff, I can't can't." connect with God. Nothing is working. So what does he do? He does what a lot of people do. A lot of us do. Is that what he ended up doing is that for his whole senior year, he started going from campus ministry to campus ministry, from church to church, from tradition to tradition, from theology to another theology, desperately trying to connect with God, trying this and trying that. His senior year upon graduation, I hadn't seen him all year, and we have our, this is our final conversation I've had with him. I, haven't, I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. And this is what he said to me. He said, Jeff, before I was a Christian, life was so easy. But now, as a Christian... It's so hard, and it's so complicated. What do you do when Christianity doesn't work? What happens when Christianity doesn't work for you? What do you do? Please stand for the hearing of God's Word.
I got it. All right, you ready? We'll start at 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, one, what is the hope which he has called you? Two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Three, what are the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And oh man, he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we ask that you would give this prayer to us even now, that saints throughout history for 2,000 years have prayed this prayer. Paul prayed this prayer, and he prayed it even 2,000 years ago for it to be answered today, right here for us. So, oh Lord, answer this prayer. Give the reality of this prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what happens when Christianity doesn't work for you? Maybe you found that out early like this particular student did. Or maybe you're finding that out right now. Christianity is just not working. So what do you do? Well, here's what Paul says. Here's how the Bible answers. The Bible answers unanimously. Paul's going to answer this way. You need to learn something. When Christianity doesn't work, this is a season in your life where God is actually inviting you He's saying, come with me, let me teach you some things. Let me show you and take you places you've never been before. And so when Christianity doesn't work, what Paul is saying, what the Bible says, it's time for you to learn something. In other words, this passage is all about learning something. It's all about thinking about things. Do you see this? Look at verse 17. Paul wants us to gain more of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Learn something, right? And then in verse 17, again, he says he wants us to grow in the knowledge of him. Learn something, he's saying. And then he goes down to verse 18 and says, have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. It's a, it's a unique metaphor, image for Paul. It's nowhere found in ancient literature. He's saying that your heart is like an eye and he wants it to be opened. Learn something. And then you get down to verses 18 through 23. He wants you to know the hope of the calling. He wants you to know the wealth of your inheritance. He wants you to know this massive present power at work in your life right now. In other words, learn something, learn something, learn something. Christianity is intelligent. Christianity involves the life of the mind. Christianity says, think. Think about these things. Think on these things. And so what are we supposed to think about? What do we need to learn? When Christianity doesn't work, and you're now at a, at a place that you don't know what to do, you're desperate for something to work, and this passage says you need to learn something. Well, what do we need to learn? 
The answer from this text, the answer from all of chapter 1, the answer specifically that's given to you and me right now is we need to learn the glory of grace. I mean, follow me here. Look at verse 17. God is called the Father of glory. This doesn't mean, don't think paternal. Don't think like father and son and father and daughter. What you want to think of is originator, producer, progenitor, right? The source, the author of. So when you get to the Father of glory, it's saying he's the origin of glory. He's infinitely thick with wonder. He's the origin of wonder. Where does wonder come from? Him. He is thick with wonder. It also means brightness. It means he's the source of brightness. He's the source of shining. He's the source of wow. He's the source of woe. He's the source of being electrified. He's the source of like you praise something, he's the ultimate source of it. He's infinitely thick with woe and wow. He is the origin of it. And there's another meaning that's packed into glory. You have this sense of, you have this sense of wonder, you have this sense of wow, and then you have this sense of honor. In other words, the ultimate origin, the ultimate author of the medals of honor is infinitely thick honor, singular significance, worth and value and incomparability that's Beyond the charts, he's the author of it. He's the author. He's the source of winning. Winning. The Ephesian scholar that I like, this guy named Frank Thielman, he says about Ephesians 1, he says, God's glory, this infinitely thick wonder, this infinitely thick brightness, this infinitely thick woe and wow, this infinitely thick winning, God's glory is shown especially in His grace. His grace is infinitely thick. It's the source of wonder. It's the wow and the woe and it's the winning. And what Paul says, he says, listen, when Christianity isn't working for you, it's time for you to learn the glory of grace. So Ephesians 1, 15-23 is designed to take you to the glory of grace. It's designed to activate the glory of grace in your life. It's designed to make the glory of grace clear to your mind and real to your heart. This is the power of this text. This is the intention of this text. Every text that you go, you open, is taking you somewhere. This text is taking you to the glory of grace. So let's get on the train. Fasten your seatbelt because the glory of grace is coming to run you over. So what happens when Christianity doesn't work? There are three aspects of this glory of grace. Here's the glory of grace. Well, it's infinite, so I'm really kind of taking you know, license right here. But we're going to look at three aspects of the glory of grace from this text. Are you with me? Three aspects. Think of it as a diamond, and we're going to go look at this cut. 
whoa, wow, wonder, winning. And then we're going to look at this cut, same thing. Then we're going to turn and look at this cut. You with me? Here we go. Here's what you need to know. What happens when Christianity doesn't work? You need to know something about love, something about faith, Paul says. <laughs> what do we need to know? Look at verse 15. For this reason, in other words, because of everything I just said in verses 3 through 15, 14, every, every one of these wonders of the glories of the gospel, like chosen, not forsaken, redeemed, not condemned, a child of God, not an orphan, for this reason, because of all the stuff I just wrote, because... In particular, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and I heard of your love toward the saints, I did not cease to give thanks for you. Do you see it? It's right there. It's unbelievable. It's breathtaking. Do you see the glory of grace here? It's the glory of grace in faith and love. In other words, what Paul, when Paul learns, when Paul learns of the Ephesians' faith, when Paul learns of the Ephesians' love, he doesn't praise the Ephesians. He doesn't come up to them and say, hey man, you are such a spiritual giant for your faith. Oh man, you're a fully devoted, spirit-filled, elite, special forces, on God's A-team, lover of people. What does he do? He doesn't praise the Ephesians for their faith and love. He thanks God for their faith and love. He's basically saying, Oh, God, thank you that they trust in Jesus. Thank you that they will continue to trust in Jesus. Thank you that they have love for the saints. And thank you that they will continue to grow in love. Because Paul is saying, oh, God, you did it. You gave them faith. And then, oh, God, you produced out of the soil of their faith love for others. And then, oh, God, not only did you do it, but you continue to do it. You continue to give faith. You continue to give love growing out of the soil of faith. Oh God, I thank you that you have done it, that you've done this gracious work in their life. In other words, think of faith and love as summarizing the Christian life. Think of faith and love as everything that we're supposed to be doing. Think of faith and love as the Christian life, how you live the Christian life. Think of faith and love as new life, as sanctification. Think of faith and love as chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians. It's everything in the A through Z of the Christian life. Every imperative, every command, every call to holiness, every call to trust God and to love others. That's faith and love. And the Bible says faith and love are these things that God calls us to do. So God says, trust me. And God says, love others. God says, husbands, love your wives. God says, wives, love your husbands. God says, parents, love your children. Love your enemy. Love, 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 right? The summary of the law. And the Bible also says faith and love are things we actually do. We trust God. We love others. Right? Someone's not loving God for me. Someone's not loving others for me. We love. We trust. But then here's the glory of grace in faith and love. Faith is a gift of grace. Love is a gift of grace. Faith and love are not achieved. Faith and love are received by grace. Learn this, Paul says. Think 
about this, Paul says. Think about this. This means you and I do not generate faith. We do not generate love. We do not activate faith. We do not activate love. Faith is given, not generated. Love is received, not achieved. But you already know this. You already know this because you know that when you try to generate faith, you try to connect with God, you know that when you try to generate love in your life and you try to change your life, uh, you know it exhausts you, you know that it breaks you down, and you know that it actually pushes you further away from what you're trying to get. So trying to generate faith never gives you faith. Instead, it gives you a greater disconnect and a greater discord and a greater confusion and a greater frustration with God. You know that. And you know when you try to generate love, love for people, and you try to change your life, it doesn't give you more and more love. It actually gives you less and less love. You find yourself becoming actually worse, and you find yourself becoming more and more selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. Trying to generate faith and love drives you into the spiritual wilderness, just like it drove my friend into the spiritual wilderness. And once you go into the spiritual wilderness, you are desperate to try to find something that works. So you're going to go from tradition to tradition, theology to theology, how-to to how-to, speaker to speaker, book to book. You're just going to keep going and going until you find something that works. And Paul says, no, learn the glory of grace. Learn that faith and love are received, not achieved. That's the first aspect of the glory of grace. What's the second? What happens when Christianity doesn't work? Paul says, well, not only do you need to learn something about faith and love, you need to learn something about knowing God. Look at verse 15 and 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you and to make remembrance of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Oh, Paul, is, he's doing two breathtaking things. He's, he's giving thanks to God for the Ephesians' faith and love. Thank you, God. You have done this. You have produced and you are producing faith and love in their life. It's unbelievable. It's a wonder of wonders. And now he's petitioning. He's petitioning God's grace that they would grow in their knowledge of him. Do you see it? The glory of grace in knowing God. So here's the question. Do you want to know God? Do you want to connect with God? Do you feel like God is a big mystery to you right now? Do you feel disconnected from God? Do you feel distant from God? You want to close the gap. You want a sense in which God is actually feels real. Do you want that? Then the question becomes, how are you going to get that? Seriously, what are you going to do? Well, the most popular answers today are, are the following. The number one answer today is to do mystic techniques. Medieval mysticism is now sweeping the evangelical world. It's now sweeping Protestant churches because people are, Christianity is not working and people are desperate to connect with God, desperate to try to find God. And the number one answer now that's being given is do mystical techniques. Another thing is 
being popular answer is to do spiritual disciplines. Another popular answer is to do a discipleship program. Another popular answer is to do an accountability group or to do rigorous self-denial. Deny yourself. Uh, forsake things. Then you'll get connected to God. Another way to do it is to discover Holy Spirit secrets or to do spiritual activism. And Paul says, no, no, no. Paul says you simply ask for it. No mystical movements, no rigorous self-denial, no aestheticisms and techniques. Ask God to know Him. Oh God, Paul says, I do not cease to remember you in my prayers that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Ask for it. The glory of grace and knowing God is that knowing God is a gift of grace. Knowing God is actually something received, not achieved. Knowing God is something given, not generated. Knowing God is God making himself known to us. Learn this, Paul says. Think about this. You don't generate the knowledge of God. You don't activate a connection with God. God does. You simply ask God to make Himself known to you. You say, oh God, give me the knowledge of you. And watch what happens when we do. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know God. So in other words, he's saying, listen, we pray, oh God, give me the knowledge of you. And God says, let there be light. It's the way the Bible has always worked. It's the way that God has always worked. In fact, Paul, when he's describing a conversion, he describes it as the let there be light. He goes all the way back to creation. He says, the light of the face of Christ shines in your heart. And you believe. So, oh God. Remember Moses when he was on the mountain and he was struggling because the people were not actually living up to their spiritual potential? And he is basically almost done, and he can't make it, and he doesn't know what he's going to do, and it, his life got real small. Christianity wasn't working for him. Judaism wasn't working for him. It wasn't working for Israel. And all of a sudden, he just says, oh God, show me your glory. And God said, let there be light. Learn the glory of grace. Knowing God is received, not achieved. Third aspect, the final one, it's this. What happens when Christianity doesn't work? Well, what does happen when Christianity doesn't work? You know what happens to you and me? This is what happens when it doesn't work for us. We crave something that works. We crave a present power. You want it, you need it, you go looking for it. And that's why we move from theology to theology, church to church, tradition to tradition. I mean, we will jump like the most radical one tradition to the next tradition. I mean, I just, just heard of a pastor that just did that. Totally radical shift, totally radical change. You're like, what's going on? Because when Christianity doesn't work, you crave something that works. When Christianity doesn't work, you need a present 
In verses 18 through 23, Paul says that knowing God looks specifically like knowing three things. Do you see this? That you may know, one, what is the hope to which he's called you. That's the power of the gospel that we've already seen in verses 3 through 14. That's the chosen, not forsaken, redeemed, not condemned. He's already talked about that, so he doesn't spend much time on it. He just, boom. Then the second thing he also has already talked about in verses 3 through 14, and that is what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Remember, we saw that. I'm a child of God, not an orphan. But then this next one, the third one, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? This third aspect of the gospel is new, and he spends five verses on it. And what is it? What is he talking about in these five verses? These are breathtaking verses. You know what he's talking about? Something that works. He's talking about a present power. In these five verses, Paul gives you in theology and in imagery, in ideas and in images, piled one after the other, interpenetrating, mixed up, indiscernible. He gives you a cosmic champion. He gives you a cosmic warrior. He gives you a cosmic Goliath killer. And he describes it like Jesus rising from the dead. And he describes it like Jesus getting enthroned in all the heavenly places. And yes, it's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It is, yes, what a beautiful name. There is, yes, there's power in this name, but it's not just in this abstract idea of greatness. It's in the reality of being a Goliath killer. It's a present power by which all the dark powers get subjugated, put under his feet. It's a present power for you. It's a present power that takes the image of when Goliath came out and you had a champion come out from each army or you have, you have the barbarians or my ancestors, the Vikings, confronting the, the Romans. And on a field of battle, a pitched field of battle, and it's a devastating battle, and then one side gets annihilated, one side loses. You know what they did in the ancient world? They went and found the military leader. They went and found the Caesar. They went and found the defeated emperor. They grabbed him. They dragged him through the victorious army as they lined up in a parade-like form and went down the line, and then they threw him at the feet of the conquering king, and he put his feet on their throat. What did he do? He subjugated them. And the picture, the image, is when Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus was seated seated at the right hand of the throne of God, he subjected the dark powers. They're under his feet. So, What is hanging over you right now? Jesus has subjected that thing. What do you fear? What like just turns your blood cold with dread? Jesus has subjected that 
Where are you so deeply discouraged? Where are you so confused? Where is Christianity not working for you? Where are you so lost? Where are you so depressed? Where are you so anxious? Where are you so defeated? Where are you so beat down? So messed up. So I'm irrecoverable. Jesus has subjected that thing. Where are you suffering personal loss, relational loss, loss at school, loss at work, loss at home, just struggling, pain, suffering? Jesus has subjected that thing. This is present. Learn the glory of grace. Learn that faith and love are given, not generated. Learn that knowing God is received, not achieved. Know that present power is received, not achieved.